This is the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to The Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Anand Krishnan, your host for today. Later this week on Friday, March 19th, officials from the US and China will hold the highest engagement under the new Biden administration in a meeting in Alaska, where Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan will meet their Chinese counterparts, Yang Jiechi, who is a member of the Politburo and director of the Central Committee's Foreign Affairs Commission, and Wang Yi, the foreign minister. What is on the agenda for the meeting, which comes a week after the first Quad Leaders Summit, are the expectations of a new beginning after four turbulent years, and what will be the impact for India and the region? We are joined by two guests from Washington for this episode. Tanvi Madan is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution in Washington, whose work focuses on India's foreign policy, with a special emphasis on India's relations with China and the US. Tanvi is the author of the excellent book, Fateful Triangle, How China Shaped US-India Relations During the Cold War. We are also joined from Washington by Sriram Lakshman, who is the Hindu's U.S. correspondent. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank Thanks, Anna. In this episode, we will look ahead to the meeting in Alaska, the broader China-U.S. relationship, the implications for India, and we will also look back on the March 12th Quad Leaders Summit. But first, we begin in Alaska. Tanvi, coming to you first, is it fair to say that expectations are quite low in DC on what the outcomes for this meeting are? And just to make it clear for our listeners, how do we best characterize this? Is this too much to say it's a reset? Or is it a new beginning? Or is it just more about trying to arrest the slide in the relationship? I think the administration itself has set uh, low expectations for the summit. And I can see two reasons um, for doing that. One, not to, you know, you don't want to show your hand before you go in this kind of um, scene setting negotiation. And second, you don't want to uh, worry your allies and partners, particularly before you've had a chance to kind of uh, brief them on these kind of discussions. But I would say, you know, in terms of how I describe the meeting, I think it's it's um, somewhere between kind of a temperature check, um, a is a, a, a dialogue to signal, um, setting the terms uh, of the relationship moving forward, giving each other a sense of how you see um, the other country's approach. But I think the Biden administration has also said publicly that it sees it that it will be laying down some red lines. Um, and I would uh, suggest um, looking at what Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, said uh, last week. This was uh, after the Quad Summit, but he talked about this visit and he said that, that uh, it was the meeting was intended to communicate clearly uh, how the U.S. intends to proceed at a, a strategic level, up, explain what U.S. interests are and outline uh, what uh, concerns uh, that the U.S. had with Chinese activities and um, something that was important uh, from India's perspective as well, uh, that he outlined that those concerns weren't just about Hong Kong or Xinjiang or Taiwan or to do with the U.S., but also involved 
uh, things like coercion against Australia, harassment around the Senkakus, and as he put it, uh, their aggression on the border with India. Mm. And Sriram, it's interesting that uh, I've been looking at what uh, it's been coming out in the Chinese press over the last few days, and something that they've been keen to emphasize is that this was an invitation that came from Washington. Um, and so China was accepting that. And I think they've, they've highlighted that on several occasions. Uh, though, of course, part of that's just diplomacy if the host country usually is the one that invites. But uh, have officials in D.C. said, uh, what have they said so far about the reasons uh, for holding this summit in Alaska? So um, as uh, Tanmi alluded to this, Anand, and this is a drawing of battle lines, as it were, um, before the House Foreign Affairs Committee last week, Secretary Blinken said this is an important opportunity for us, for the US, to lay out in very frank terms the many concerns we have with Beijing's actions and behavior that are challenging the security, the prosperity, and the values of the United States and our partners and allies. So that's the, that's the fundamental reason behind the meeting. And of course, they're also going to explore areas where the two countries can cooperate, but this is secondary and um, climate action uh, is chief amongst those uh, possible areas of cooperation. Um, you know, and uh, Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson said, and I, this is a quote, we will certainly not be pulling any punches in discussing our areas of disagreement. So um, the, this is a new administration, Anand, and it's, uh, while I won't call it a reset, uh, there's a sense that during the Trump administration, there was great disruption in the China-US relationship. China is not going to get a free pass in the Biden administration. And this is, again, an opportunity to signal, as Tanmi had also mentioned, where the current administration, the new administration stands with regard to China. Well, even before uh, the meeting happens, there seems to be a little bit of a, a minor spat about what exactly this meeting is. Uh, it was interesting that uh, the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, made it a point to say that this isn't the start of a strategic dialogue uh, and that any future engagement with uh, China would only hinge on what the outcomes were from this meeting. But China, on the other hand, including the foreign ministry spokesperson, uh, described it, quote, as an important strategic dialogue. Uh, Tanvi, if I could get you in on this as well. What sense do we make uh, of how both of them are framing this differently uh, to their domestic audiences? You know, Anand, one of the things I was thinking is a word that should be banned in diplomatic reporting and analysis and lingo is reset. Um, right. Because at this point, we've had so many of them and none of them have actually been re resets. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of disconnect between the two narratives to me and the framings actually reminded me of something in the China-India context where, you know, you have the Chinese insisting um, uh, recently and over the last few months that, oh, you know, the relationship just needs to get back to normal right. um, and you should set boundary issues aside, whereas uh, India is doing the opposite, saying, nope, you need peace and tranquility at the border first, then we can even talk about the broader relationship. I think you should see this similarly in that sense. Um, the framing is different because it's not just about dom domestic audiences. I think the objectives and emphases are different uh, for Beijing and Washington. Uh, you know, Beijing has been conveying the sense of confidence, at least um, uh, overtly, that, you know, it has come out of uh, COVID uh, or, you know, though we're all countries are still struggling with it, but that it has recovered uh, earlier, both in health terms and economic terms. 
um, that it feels the U.S. is on the back foot, um, and that it feels and it has signaled repeatedly through various officials that what it'd like to do uh, is have a conversation with the U.S. that basically uh, leads towards some sort of G2, which is, you know, let's work on cooperative issues, um, set the differences aside, um, and focus on the important things. And usually that means, uh, uh, you know, set the sensitivities aside and those of, and the interests of allies and partners. And I think, and so, you know, this this is kind of, I could see this, okay, look, let's frame this as a strategic dialogue, which will do what you're saying, which is reset the terms to back what it is. So again, a kind of back to business as usual. I think the U.S. just very quickly uh, is on a different page. And I think, you know, you've seen the change in tone where you saw um, Anthony Blinken say, and I think this is going to be the buzzword you'll hear a lot, our relationship with China will be competitive when it should be, collaborative when it can be, adversarial when it must be. Um, and that's the framing they're taking into this. But they're also doing something different, which is countering this idea that the U.S. is on the back foot. Hence, the chronology of how they've set this visit up, which is, for one, they have shored up, they've tried to shore up uh, uh, relationships with allies and partners, including in the Quad format, before this meeting, met with the Japanese and the Koreans. Secretary Austin will be on his way to India. That's not an accident. So part of this showing strength, uh, as Jake Sullivan calls it, going to the Chinese from a position of strength is the shoring up allies and partnerships. But there's also this sense of uh, showing that the U.S. is on its way to recovery. And so the fact that President Biden has got a, the, the COVID uh, stimulus bill plan uh, passed, he's again, you know, that's a plus for him. But also that there'll be an investment domestically at home in things like research and innovation and, uh, you know, having the economy recover that they are not on the back foot. So I think both sides are coming at this very differently. Uh, the Chinese want to go back to a business as usual. And I think the administration is trying to make clear that that business as usual is not possible as long as the Chinese are behaving in the manner that they are. No, I think the chronology is a great point. The fact that you've had the Quad Leaders Summit, you've had this big swing through Asia, of uh, both the Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense. I think it's it helps us understand a little bit why uh, the summit is happening and the timing of the summit. Uh, you both have highlighted broadly, this is kind of about setting the tone, about drawing uh, the battle lines, uh, as you put it. Uh, Sriram, is, is there going to be a space for specifics uh, on the agenda? Uh, what do we know uh, so far uh, about the issues that are going to be highlighted? Uh, is there going to be trade on the agenda or is this more kind of a big picture meeting? So Anant, trade is definitely not going to be the top priority in this discussion. The National Security Advisor, uh, Jake Sullivan, said as much. So the phase one trade deal, the trading relationship, I do expect it to come up, but it's certainly not going to be uh, a big ticket item. It's not going to be at the top of the list. That's not going to I am guessing in the Americans' view, send the right signal to China as well. Um, so what's going to be the focus of the discussion is Hong Kong, Xinjiang, Tibet. This is a list that Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson, 
um, uh, came up with, uh, the pressure on Taiwan, human rights issues, basically, um, China's actions in the South China Sea, um, also China's economic policies, uh, predatory economic practices, as the U.S. calls it, and the origins of COVID-19. So we're going to have a discussion, we're going to see discussions on uh, China's behavior. That's going to be front and central, and of course, and there will be a discussion on areas of cooperation. As Tanvi has said, this is this is going to be a multifaceted relationship, and uh, uh, therefore meeting as well in Alaska. There'll be adversarial aspects, there'll be competitive aspects, and there'll be cooperative elements. But trade is not going to be at the top of the agenda, as far as we know. And one of the more sort of uh, fundamental problems going into uh, this meeting seems to be that, uh, from what I've been reading coming out of Beijing. The single talking point that you see in the Chinese state media is that the starting point for talks is that an acknowledgement from the U.S. that the last four years were all America's fault uh, and that uh, correcting this relationship pretty much hinges on U.S. actions. Uh, so, Tanvi, how has that been received uh, in Washington? And in your view, for listeners in India who are trying to make sense of uh, what this means uh, I mean, there tends to be an overreaction every time there's any a little bit of a U.S. engagement with China. Uh, I think in November, uh, at some speech, uh, there was a reference to Asia-Pacific by Joe Biden, which led to everybody uh, declaring that the U.S. had abandoned the Indo-Pacific idea. Uh, and then, of course, we had the Quad Summit on March 12th. But for people trying to make sense of this, uh, what, in your view, are going to be some of the elements of the Trump administration's China policy that are here to stay? And where do you think there may be big changes, uh, especially those kind of changes that may be a concern for India, if any at all? So I think, you know, some of the concerns, and by the way, they're mirrored. So, you know, I remember when the Wuhan summit happened uh, with the Shi Modi Wuhan summit, there was a same kind of kind of concern here, you know, is India taking a U-turn on China? So I think some of this is just a matter of uh, various allies and partners being concerned about uh, the staying power of countries' China policies. Um, I think the other reason for concern that countries have, including in India, is that um, is kind of what happened during the Obama administration. So I think it's important to keep in mind that there are some uh, there's continuity and change from the Trump administration, but there's also certain aspects of change evidence between the Biden administration and the Obama administration. And one I'll mention before, just I'll say a couple of things about the Trump administration and continuity and change, is one key difference, uh, or at least you know, you've seen um, there's a reason that this is a Blinken-Sullivan, that is a Secretary of State and National Security Advisor meeting together, which is that they understand um, from their experience, partly I think during the Obama administration, that the Chinese will try to do an end run uh, around one agency or the other, which is, you know, uh, if you don't like what one official is saying, then you go to another part of the U.S. government and you try to get a different message from them or you try to create, you know, uh, take advantage of bureaucratic turf battles or different priorities. And so I think it, this is to put a joint uh, front together, but I think that's also important about who's not there. Uh, it's climate envoy, Senator Kerry or Secretary Kerry is not there. And neither, for the, that matter, are any of the folks from the economic side. And I think that's partly, again, to convey we will not uh, make, we will not do what we were accused of in, uh, people said this didn't happen, in the Obama administration, which is linkage, which is letting the Chinese say, okay, 
we will, um, you know, we will work with you on climate, uh, but that means you have to stop pressing us on these issues, areas of concern, including the South China Sea. Uh, very briefly, I think from the Trump administration uh, and the Obama administration, big difference is, another big difference in some sense, continuity from the Trump administration, the hardened view of China reflected in that quote that I mentioned uh, from Tony Blinken. Um, I think where you will see changes is perhaps more uh, in the approach and the emphasis. Um, so for example, in terms of emphasis, you're not going to see, for example, I suspect this administration talk about regime change, about the Chinese Communist Party, or, you know, trying to uh, overthrow that, for example. And you occasionally heard that um, from Trump administration officials uh, that that was a problem. You're not going to hear the heated rhetoric, you know, the terms like Wuhan, why virus, for example, or Chinese virus, those kind of things you're not going to hear. I think where you will see um, some continuity, some changes in the approach in terms of, as I said, the two things is shoring up alliances and partners and uh, focusing at home. Uh, and that means, uh, you know, strengthening the economy, but also uh, talking about kind of democratic resilience, uh, both at home and abroad. And that is different. What are the implications for India? Very quickly, I think India will probably benefit from the focus on the Indo-Pacific uh, and the alliances and partnerships to a much greater degree than the administration was, uh, that the Trump administration was talking about. I think the jury is out on how the administration's focus on uh, rebuilding at home uh, will play out in terms of implications for India. India uh, might benefit, uh, but if, like India, the U.S. Uh, emphasizes Atmanirbharta or self-reliance, uh, then you might have an issue where, whether it's on trade or immigration, uh, these could be subjects, or even investment for that matter, these could be a subject of difference between uh, the U.S. and India. And finally, we can't uh, have this conversation without uh, bringing in the Quad, which has been in the news in India since March 12th. Uh, I think I'm sure people in India who have been following the Quad Summit perhaps uh, might be wondering uh, how so soon after this, uh, what was billed uh, in the Indian media, perhaps simplistically as an anti-China summit. Uh, you have uh, U.S. and Chinese officials meeting in Alaska. But more broadly, uh, Sriram, what, in your view, uh, does this tell us about how the Biden administration is approaching the region? I think Tamli made a great point in terms of the chronology of engagement that we've seen. Uh, is that something that we can take away uh, from, from, the, from this summit? Absolutely, Anand. I would actually flip it on its head in terms of what people in India are saying, uh, as you suggest, that the that this meeting is happening so soon after the Quad Summit. Um, I would say that the, the important fact to note is that it is happening after the Quad Summit. And as Tanvi already um, said, there's been like a massive list uh, of engagements before this. Even if you look at the people who uh, uh, who had te uh, telephone conversations with both President Biden and uh, Tony Blinken, you know, he started off with the Canada-Mexico, uh, Secretary Blinken, uh, Canada-Mexico, then the European allies, Japan, South Korea, India, and even President Xi and Biden, their conversation happened quite far down the list. There was also an engagement with, uh, uh, a re-engagement with the WHO, the Paris uh, uh, Agreement, uh, you know, discussions with the E3, uh, uh, Tony Blinken addressed the European Union. All this happened early on in the administration. And then, of course, you had the Quad. Um, uh, and it's only 
after all this that the meeting with uh, with China is happening. And as Tandi said, um, one of the uh, the uh, pillars of this position of strength, speaking to China from a position of strength, one of the pillars of that uh, principle is um, building alliances. And uh, the other aspect is of, you know, building strengths at home. Again, another point that is referred to, and that's the passing of the uh, rescue plan. Um, that's also, uh, uh, this is not talked about much, but there's an executive order on supply chains. Uh, that's very important. So the, uh, there's also uh, the U.S. administration speaking out on uh, uh, on issues related to China's uh, um, um, adventurism and also its actions in Hong Kong. So the meeting with China, I would say, is happening after all this. So uh, that says a lot to me. And in terms of why the meeting is happening at all, because I'm sure that there are people in India saying, why are you engaging with China at all? Uh, um both uh, Secretary Blinken and President Biden have said, most recently President Biden in the interim strategic guidance that he issued to uh, yeah, uh, to departments and agencies, that uh, China is the only competitor, and this is a quote, potentially capable of combining its economic, diplomatic, military, and technological power to mount a sustained channel to a challenge to a stable and open international system, unquote. When that's your view, on China, of course, you're going to want to engage. And also, as Secretary Blinken has said, the U.S. position is when there's a leadership vacuum, one of two things happens. There's either chaos or there's a country that occupies that vacuum and conducts global, pushes global business in a way that's not helpful to American interests. So, of course, they're going to engage with China. And I would say they're engaging with China after the Quad Summit, after all this other multilateral engagement. That's the way I look at it. Tanvi, uh, you had a great piece on the Quad in, a, in an essay for War on the Rocks in 2017. We'll link to that uh, below this podcast. It's interesting uh, in your analysis of what has changed from Quad 1.0, which, as we all know, kind of fizzled out with a whimper uh, to now. Uh, I think there were two interesting aspects that you flagged. One was uh, India's legacy of strategic autonomy. Uh, the other being something you mentioned in this podcast, uh, the appeal uh, for some in the U.S., this idea of this G2 accommodation with China. How, how have things changed uh, since you wrote that uh, now more than three years ago? Do you think uh, these two sort of persisting strands of thinking, both in Delhi and Washington, still remain something of, a, of an obstacle to the Quad looking forward? I think, you know, both strategic autonomy and kind of this G2 aspect, um, the concern, they're less of an issue today, but I don't think they've disappeared. And I think it's important to uh, remember that. And to some extent, they are less of an issue because for both the US and China, uh, US and India, sorry, um, relations with China have changed. Thanks to China in, in, uh, in great part. But, you know, both uh, uh, Washington and Delhi have uh, the last few years have reinforced and increased their concerns about an assertive China, not lessened them. And so there's also an understanding because of constrained capabilities for different reasons in both the US and India that you need partners. Um, I think there's also, as you work together and build habits of cooperation, you have a better understanding of each other's approaches. So I think for the, for the US, that's been understanding that India is not going to be an ally. And it's not worthwhile to try to get it to behave like an ally. 
that strategic autonomy is going to. And so you heard even in the Trump administration, Deputy State Secretary of State Steve Began say, look, we're not explicitly say we're not looking for the U uh, for India to be an ally. And I think for um, for the U.S., there's been more of an understanding uh, as well that India uh, has yet again shown, as it has in the previous four kind of boundary crises, that it will show resolve uh, when China pushes um, uh, pushes in various ways against India. I think for India, there's more of an understanding that now you've seen consistently for the last few years a competitive approach in the U.S. against China. Sri mentioned, for example, even the Biden administration's initial move suggests this is going to be competitive. I think it's also going to be about waiting and seeing. Let's see how uh, the this meeting develops and the next uh, kind of not just U.S.-China engagements, but India-China engagements as well. And I think depending on how those play out, um, as if the countries see um, that the other is staying the course on China, over time, you start, these concerns start to lessen, whether that's a G2 or that kind of India's desire for independence isn't about, because sometimes it's interpreted as, uh, you know, walking a middle path between the US and China. But as I've said on many occasions, that is not a choice for India. This is not the Cold War. Uh, these are not two distant superpowers with which India has no direct disputes. Um, this is about kind of uh, not allying with the U.S., but that doesn't mean the U.S. India will not align uh, with the U.S. and other uh, countries, like-minded countries, as they're called, uh, when it is in India's interest. And I think that's something over time. If it continues to happen, people will have a better understanding of. So we will be following the Alaska meet closely this week. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll have more on the U.S.-China relationship as well. I'm sure on the Hindu In Focus podcast. Sriram, Lakshman, Tanvi Madan, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you, Anand. Thanks, Anand. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.